So today's daf is Yud in Masechet Yoma. We are on Yud Amud Aleph. We are, uh, what do we say, 12 lines down from the uh, top of the Amud, where we left off yesterday. The middle, uh, sort of last uh, two words of the line, Vatihi Reshit. So it's continuing to, uh, it's on the su- subject of the different nations that branched out of course, after the flood of Noach. And uh, we, we identified, you know, one of them being Paras. And that's we got into the topic. Vatihi Reshit Nam Dachto Bavel, Verch Vakat so, uh, oh, actually, I think we did read this yesterday, but it's okay. Um, but this is uh, talking about uh, the times of Nimrod, that he ruled over uh, Bavel, and it gives these different places. So it says, Bavel kemashma'a. Uh, so it's, it says that uh, Bavel, of course, we, we know what Bavel is. So that's kemashma'a, uh, that's the ve'erech, is ve'akad ve'chalnei. So it says, ve'erech is orichut, right? We don't know what that is. Ve'akad bashkar. And Kalneze no Ferninfi. So these are different. These are the contemporary names, meaning the names in the times of the Gemara of these locations that they identified with the locations that are mentioned in the uh, in in the pasuk. Even though today we might ourselves need you know some background on what these locations are referring to. But anyway, So from here came Ashur. Tani Rav Yosef. Ashur is a Silak. Again, we don't know exactly what these places are, what these locations uh, are referring to, but. Um, or Salik, it says, is one of the is a different version of it. Um, the uh, that's a different. I guess it's a different group, right? And Rashi says, They didn't want to be part of the uh, the uh, building of the uh, of the Migdal uh, Bavel, so they so they left. It says the places that he built. We know what Nineveh is. We know from Yonah also. Okay, again, the name of the place. And then Kalach, Zoprat de Borsif. Okay, so that's the name of it in, in their time. That was the name of, of that area uh, in the times of Gemara. And Vetresen ben Nineveh ben Kalach he Irak Dola. So it's funny because this pasuk is very vague, and the Gemara picks up on that because it's Vetresen, and he also built a Presen which is between Nineveh and Kalach, which is the big city. Resen de Aktisfun. Okay, so that's the name of the place. But it says here at the end of the pasuk it says he Irak Dola. Eniodea im Nineveh Irak Dola im Resen Irak Dola. So the problem in the pasuk is that it says he built Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kalach. It is the big city. What is the big city? Do you mean that Resen, the one that he built, is the big city? Or did you mean that, uh, you know, did you mean that Ninveh is the big city? It's like, which, which, thing, which one is the big city in the Pasuk? Because it's, it's not clear. So it says, So we know from Yonah that it says that Ninveh was a very big city. So it must be that it's talking about Ninveh when it says the big city. When it talks about the giants, okay, that uh, now this is actually going uh, on, a, on a pasuk. That this pasuk is actually in Bamidbar when it's talking about uh, uh, when it's talking about the Maraglim, you know. But the uh, but it, it's these are but since it's interpreting names and locations, I guess it got onto this topic of the names and the locations. Um, and the uh, and and the uh, Rashi says I did the Dereshimata since it's interpreting names of different places, so it's going and interpreting the names of these uh, giants. So, uh, so these are the names of the giants that uh, that were dominating the land at the time that the Maraglim went to look. 
And that's why this pasuk is coming from a totally different place in the Torah. It's not from Barishit, obviously, it's from a story of the Marklei. Tana Achiman Miyuman Shebachim. So these different Yilidei Hanak, sons of the giant, okay? So Achiman was the most skilled or the strongest of the brothers. Sheshai She Meshim Etaaretz. Oh, I'm sorry. Shemesimet aretz keshchitot that he he made the land like pits, meaning that he would like he would when he would you know like uh, step on the ground that would make like uh, it would make holes in the ground. I guess you know so he was making uh, holes in the ground from walking because he was so big. Okay, talmai shemesimet aretz tlamim So he would make like furrows in the ground. In other words, the idea was that they were so big that they would walk. You would see like their footsteps. You know, like these giant footsteps. You know that they would see from a large animal walking around. Someone got to make a hole in the ground. So they were so big that they were making these giant holes in the ground too. Now I think that this davar achir, the grad takes it out. He says you don't need davar achir. Achiman bana anat. So he built a place called anat. Sheshai bana alush. Okay, and talmai bana talbush. So they, these are the names of the cities that they built. They were called the Yilidei Ha'anak Shema'anikim at Hama. It looks like the, um, because they were so tall, it looked like their neck, Rashi says, It looks like their neck goes through the sky. Right? So meaning that um, the sun looks like it's around their neck. You know, like some people, sometimes they show those pictures of the people that looks like they have a halo on their head because of the way the light is shining, you know? So this would be like, if they're so big, if they'd block out the sun, it looked like the sun was like going around their neck and their head was in the sky because they're so tall. Okay? Now, I'm Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. I'm Rabbi Atida Romi Shetipol Biyad Paras. People love these Gemarot, by the way. You know, these Gemarot about the end of days. You know, in the end, Rome is going to fall into the hands of Paras, of the Persians. Okay, the, I think Iran would be very happy to know that because the interpretation usually is that Rome is talking about like the Western, you know, Western civilization of today. So the, the Iranians would love this Gemara. Um, so Shenemar, as it says, Lachin Shim Hashem, Asher Hashav. What the actual pasuk? It's here. It's, it's butchered a little bit here, right? El Yoshevetemanet should say, Imlo Yischavum Tzirayatzon. If they will not, if the young sheep will not drag them. In other words, Edom is referring to Rome, and the young sheep uh, is referring to uh, is referring to uh, the Persians, right? Imlo yashim alehem nevehem. If they won't destroy, there there it's coming from the word like shmama. Uh, uh, that it's destroyed. In other words, they're going to destroy their dwelling places. The Persians are going to destroy Edom. Okay, so. Uh, uh, so the so parasu. How do you know that these Persi- that the the young sheep are Persians, right? Uh, you're going to say the reason is because it says in the pasuk because it says in Daniel that the vision that he had where he saw the uh, where he saw the ayil coming up, he saw the um, adult sheep, the ram coming up. That was referring to Madai and Paras. So that's where we got the idea that it's Paras. Right? Malchem Adai Paras. Yavan. How do you know it's not Greece is going to defeat Rome? Because in another Pasuk we learned that that's Hatsafir, Hasair Melech Yavan. In another case we see that the goat is considered to be um, uh, the king of Yavan, the king of Greece. So maybe that's, uh, you know, sheep, goats, kind of a, it's similar. So, you know, yeah, Tzon is, Tzon is called flocks. Tzon always includes both the sheep and the goats. That's it. Bakar could include uh, different kinds of species. And Tzon usually includes uh, sheep and goats. 
So therefore, it could just as well be Tzon is Greece. So when Rav Chaviva Bar came, he said this, uh, this objection, he reported this objection, uh, in front of one of the rabbis, Amalei said to him, "Somebody who doesn't know how to explain psukim is is objecting to something that Rabbi said. How could you uh, how could you presume to object to what Rabbi said? Because it was Rabbi that said this. Rabbi Yudan Asi was the one who interpreted that it's the Persians who are going to defeat the Greeks. I'm sorry, we're going to defeat the Romans. How could you uh, how could you object without knowing how to read psukim?" Right? He says, What does it mean, the children, the baby sheep? It's not talking about rams, right? It's not talking about big, uh, it's not talking about a goat. It's talking about the babies, right? Because it says, the youngest. And what does it mean, the youngest? We said that Tziras is Paras, and Tziras is the youngest of the children of Yefet. So therefore, if you look at the descendants that we read yesterday, that's the youngest. So when it says that it's going to be the youngest of the, of the uh, sheep, um, that's talking about uh, per- that's talking about the Persians. So it's true that sometimes a goat could be a representative of Yavan, but a goat would not be the youngest of the brothers that came from Yafet. Persians would be, and therefore, since it says the youngest of the of the flock, it's referring to the Persians, and it's the Persians who are going to defeat um, who are going to defeat Rome. He said, "I'll tell you a kal v'chomer why it has to be that the Persians are going to defeat the the Romans. Why? Because because if the first bed the Mikdash that was built by the sons of Shem, in other words, the Jewish people, so you see that the Kasdim, who the, meaning the Babylonians, who you know they destroyed the first bed the Mikdash, which was built by the Jews, so the second Beit HaMikdash was built by the Persians, and the Romans destroyed it. In other words, the Persians had nothing to do with the first Beit HaMikdash, and they still defeated the Babylonians who had destroyed the first Beit HaMikdash. Right? And, and so therefore, in a case where they helped build the second Beit HaMikdash, for sure whoever destroyed it is going to fall into their hands. It's a Kalva of course they're going to defeat the Romans. Amrav says, Rav said, no, I disagree with Rabbi, I say the opposite. The Persians are going to fall into the hands of Rome. So they said to him, How could you say that? How could you say that the Persians who helped build the second Beit HaMikdash will fall into the hands of the Romans who destroyed it? That seems very unjust. How could it be? He said, you're right. You're right that it seems unjust, but that's the decree of Hashem. That's what's going to happen. Okay, he doesn't exactly explain why, but that's what he says. Igadamri some say that Amar Inu Nami Hakasatre, or actually, what is the uh, what is it correct here? He's right. Amalu, he said to them, Inu Nami Hakasatre Bekinishta. They destroy a lot of synagogues, so even though they might have helped build the Beit Hamikdash, they have other avonot, other sins that they did that they deserve to be to fall. First of all, they destroy synagogues, and that's why the the, the Persians should fall into the hands of the Romans. It's also Egzerat Melech. It is a decree of Hashem that those who built the Beit HaMikdash should fall into the hands of those who destroyed it. It's almost as if that's like the end of the process of the destruction. Like that even the people who, uh, who, who built it are, are falling into the hands of those who destroyed it. Um, it's interesting, I, I, you know, there's, there's a, it's interesting that Rebbe, who lived obviously much, much earlier than Rav and lived in Israel, um, um, at, at a much earlier time, that he would have a p- more positive, seeming like a more positive view of the Persians and the and Rav 
um, is uh, has a more negative view of the uh, of the Persians living living later on, and I think there's they they say that there's some historical reasons for that that the the relationship between the Persians and the Jews uh, got worse later on with the Zoroastrians persecuted them. The Gemara talks about it sometimes different uh, different things that you know they wouldn't let them leave a candle uh, a candle on you know and things like that on, on on Shabbat because they had certain holidays that they you weren't allowed to have a candle in your house and things things of that nature. So I think there was a lot more friction between them later on, and they had a more negative view maybe of the Persians um, at a later uh, period of history when there was more conflict. But in any case, um, the, the Mashiach is not going to come until the evil kingdom of Rome spreads across the entire world at least nine months, as it says. And and yoleda. It's going to. I'm going to give it to them. Ad et yoleda means the time that it takes to give birth, meaning the uh, nine months yalada. Ve'yeter chav yishuvun ben Yisrael, and then the uh, and then the uh, uh, the the rest of the uh, Jewish people are going to return. In other words, the return of the Jewish people is first is going to be after a nine month period of domination of the evil kingdom across the world. So that would suggest that per, that Iran is going to fail in their uh, in their plot to take over the world and build the nuclear weapons, and that the Western world is going to uh, go, going to dominate Iran instead, and then eventually the Mashiach is going to come. That's according to this version. According to Rabbi, no, the the Persia is going to uh, is going to uh, prevail first. But that was Rabbi's earlier opinion. Apparently, they revised that opinion later. Rab doesn't even really bring a pasuk. He just says that this is the way it is. That this is how it's going to be, based upon the direction that he saw the Persians going in later on. Now, Tanu Rabbanan. All of the different chambers in the Beit HaMikdash, they didn't have any mezuzah, except for the chamber of Parhedrin that we've been talking about, which had, uh, which was where the Kohen Gadol would stay during his period of uh, sequestering. Amar Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda said, so he says that there were many chambers in the Beit HaMikdash that had a place for people to stay because the, the Levi'im would sleep over all the time. And they were guarding the Beit Hamikdash. So, what's the uh, what, what's the chidush of lishkat paradrin? He says, "El lishkat paradrin gzeraita." Really, there is no requirement to have any mezuzah on these different chambers, and there are different reasons given. One is because it's only used for sleeping. It's not like really made. I mean, the main reason is because it's not really made for dira. These chambers where the Levi'im would sleep were just places that they like crashed for the night. You know, they didn't. They were, it wasn't designed for living the rest of the time. The, the chambers where they stayed were designed for other things, and they just slept there overnight. So they're not. Re- it's not really what's called a bit dirah. It's not really a, a dwelling place. That's the reason why. So he's saying, really, this also being used seven days a year for the Kohen Gadol to stay there is, doesn't qualify as making it a, a, a bit dirah. That's what it sounds like. He's saying that it, it shouldn't be considered. And they made a zirah that we're going to see why, that they, that they should have a mezuzah on the door. But really, it wouldn't require a mezuzah, really. That's what Rabbi Yehuda says. Chachamim says it does require a mezuzah. So now the question is, what's the machlokit between the ma'itam and Rabbi Yehuda? So what's the reasoning behind Rabbi Yehuda's position? It says, it should say, Amar Rabbah with a hey, not Rav Amar Rabbah, because he says that your summer home is not a house, believe it or not. Right? Any house that's only made for, it, that isn't made for Yemota Gishamim and also Yemota Chama. It's not made for summer and winter. It's only a seasonal house, not called a house. And therefore, since this is only being used for seven days out of the year, only one week, that doesn't make it considered a house that you use it for one week. That, that, that's not going to count. Right, so they asked. They asked. Abaye, Abaye said, "Vakitiv doesn't it say vihiketi 
Bet HaChoref al Bet HaKaitz. This is Amos when he's talking about all the rich people that, uh, you know, he says, I'm going to get your, I'm going to destroy your summer home and your winter home. You know, meaning that they were very rich and they were neglecting like the needs of their, of, of the poor and they were, they were, they were corrupt. And he's, you know, he's saying, I'm going to destroy your, you know, your mansion and your, and, and your fancy houses and all that. And it calls it Bet HaChoref and Bet HaKaitz. The winter house and the summer house. So you see, it's called the bait, even though he only uses it a few months here. In fact, Shlomo Amelech had a uh, had a special summer house that it talks about in the talks about seven melachim. Yeah, it was, you know, because the for the for the cooler weather, it was called uh, Yara Livanon, right? It was I think or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had they had a special uh, special house. Anyway, yeah. So it says so. You see from that that a house, right? Um, that uh, that a, that a, that a house is called a house even though it's only used for one season. So what's the problem? So he said, No, amale bet chorev bet kaitzikri. The house of uh, you know the the winter and it's called a winter house or a summer house. It's not called the bait bait stamat loikri. It's not called a regular house. In other words, it's qualified as being a summer house, meaning it's not really a house. It's a summer house. It's not really a full house. It's only a winter house, but it would never just be called a bite. So there, that's the that's the distinction. So now, so 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 far, we're saying like this that according to Rabbi Yehuda, a temporary dwelling like the seven day dwelling of the of the uh, Kohen Gadol really shouldn't require a mizuzah. The Chachamim are saying it does require a mizuzah. Rabbi Yehuda saying there's a gzerat to require a mizuzah, but really technically it would not. Okay, so now we come with a stronger objection against Rabbi Yehuda from Abaye this time. There's a machloket about whether you need a mezuzah in your sukkah, by the way. Right? And here we're going to have it. Rabbi Yehuda says, Mechayev, need a mezuzah. It's supposed to be your home. The sukkah is supposed to be your home. How can you not have a mezuzah? The rabbis say, no, you don't need it. So, Rabbi Yehuda really goes all out. He says, not only are you obligated to mezuzah, but also eruv, which we learned in Masechet Eruvin, that if you have homes that open to a shared courtyard, so every one of those dwellings, every one of the families that their, their home opens to that courtyard, they have to participate in eruv echatzerot, and if they don't, they ruin it for everyone, right, as we learned. So it's saying, even if you have a sukkah, that opens to the chatzir, you have to participate in the eruv. It's considered a house. Not only that, maaser. What's the rule of maaser? The rule of maaser is yeah. that the obligation of maaser is when it's at, at, at penehabait, when the food comes to the house and it comes into the house, yeah. that's when it's technically, according to the Torah, obligated in Masrot. And that's why they said that the early generations used to come in the front door so they would be obligated. The later generations went out around the back door because they, you know, they would go, they would go, yeah, they would lift it up from the roof. They don't want to bring it from the front door because they didn't want to have to be obligated. But anyway, he says, even if you bring it in your sukkah, in other words, he's saying it's a full-fledged 100% house. The sukkah is a house. You have to put a mezuzah, it's a house. Now, the thing, so therefore, what should be the difference Right? Between that and the chamber of the Kohen Gadol. The sukkah you go for seven days, the chamber of the Kohen Gadol seven days. What's the difference? Okay? So it says, Maybe he'll say that's only rabbinic and therefore it's the same thing because he's saying it's a rabbinic rule that you need for the Kohen Gadol's chamber. It's a rabbinic rule for the sukkah. It says, no. You can make the, you can institute you could say that the person whose sukkah opens to the chatzer is considered one of the b'nei chatzer because that's only rabbinic anyway. And you could put a mezuzah up. There's no, there's no harm in putting a mezuzah where you don't need it. It's not going to hurt anybody. But but you can't say that the obligation of maaser is going to be imposed rabbinically. Why not? Because it always creates a problem. Because the problem always is that you can only separate maaser 
from things and for things that are obligated on the same level. If you have produce that's already been tithed, you can't say, well, I'll give more of it to cover my new produce because, you know, I don't really want to take from that new produce. It was better or whatever. You're not allowed to do that. You have to take, when you're taking maser, you have to take from that which hasn't had maser taken from it and which is obligated in maser. You can't take something that's patur. So if really whatever you brought into the sukkah was only rabbinically obligated in maser, it wasn't biblically. So now you might mix that up with things that are biblically required to have maser and you're going to end up with a whole mess. So how it can't require you to take Maser from something that's not obligated in Maser. It must be Deoraita. Okay, so therefore, so therefore what? Rabbi Yehuda must say that me Deoraita, you have to put a Mrs. on your Sukkah because you see that he's treating it like a house for the purpose of Maser, which means he's treating it as a house biblically because you would never have a rabbinic imposition of the idea of Maser because it gets too confusing to have rabbinic obligation of Maser mixed up with a biblical obligation of Maser. So it must be biblical. Okay, so then what's the machlok in here? Because we have a problem then. Because we must say that Rabbi Yehuda, when it comes to the sukkah is telling you that you have a biblical obligation to put your mezuzah on there. When it comes to the lishkat paridrin of the coin gadol, he's saying no. no. Okay, so what's going on? It must be that everybody agrees during the seven days of the use of the uh, of the lishkat uh, parhedrin. Everyone agrees. This is how Rashi interprets it. That everyone agrees that you need a mezuzah on there. The only question is the whole discussion must only be about the rest of the year. In other words, when it comes to the rest of the year, according to the Chachamim, you have to make a zera that you put a, uh, you put a mezuzah there because maybe you're going to have, you know, because of the seven days of the, uh, that it's actually used. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, we don't make that zera. But everyone agrees during those seven days, you have to have. And during, the, during Sukkot also, there, the suggestion, the implication is that also during Sukkot, the argument is Rabbi Yehuda is saying that, uh, you have a, that you have a mezuzah all year round on the Sukkot. And the rabbis are saying, no, but they're agreeing that during Sukkot you need it. That's the way that they're interpreting it right. That's the way Rashi seems to be interpreting it right now. Okay, but the problem with that is obvious because uh, because the machloket is about the during the Sukkot, not about during the rest of the time. In other words, the issue here is that the rabbis say there's no obligation of, of uh, mezuzah at all during Sukkot. Rabbi Yehuda is saying there is an obligation during Sukkot. And, uh, and, and it's, it, they're not talking about the rest of the year. They're talking about during Sukkot itself, whether there's an obligation or not. So he says, eh, rather, he says, Everybody agrees that there's no obligation the rest of the year. That's not the question at all. The question is during the time it's being used, whether there's an obligation. In other words, the Lishkat Parhedrin, whether it be during the rest of the year, uh, this, and the Sukkah, whether, during the rest of the year, everybody agrees when it's not being used, it doesn't require Mizuzah. The only question must be during the time that it's being used. That's not, it's not the rest of the year that they're arguing about because they wanted to, he wanted to get out of it by saying that, oh, well, Rabbi Yehuda, just like he says that the Sukkah is a Deoraita obligation <coughs> during, during Sukkot, he's also going to say that the Lishkat Paridrin is also Deoraita obligation. And the, when he said it was only Ixera, he meant the rest of the year. Okay? So now it says, no, but you see that the discussion is really around those seven days themselves, not around the rest of the year. 
Okay, that's, they're not addressing the rest of the year. So therefore he says there's a different reason behind the two of them. The reason why he distinguishes between the two is as follows. That when it comes to the sukkah, what do we say? So there's a machloket tanaim throughout the uh, discussion of sukkot, uh, and, and, and especially in Masachet sukkah, whether sukkah duat keva ba'enan or sukkah duat arai ba'enan. Does the sukkah have to be a permanent structure or it has to be a temporary structure? According to many tanaim, sukkah duat keva ba'enan. It says in Masachet sukkah. Uh, you know, according to some, no, it, it has to be a temporary or it can be a temporary structure. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, the sukkah, except for the roof, obviously, has to be a permanent structure. Therefore, it has to have a mezuzah. The Chachamim say, no, it's a temporary structure. Therefore, it doesn't have to have a mezuzah. That's the reason there. But Vilishka, but the, the chamber in the Bet HaMikdash, obviously, is a permanent structure. What, what do you do over there? So Tam Malachot, it's a different reason. Rabbanan it's a totally different question. If you're forced to go somewhere, is it called living? Okay, if you don't, ha- if you're forced to go, is it called living? So according to the Chachamim, even though the even though the Kohen Gadol doesn't have a choice, he has to go. It's still called living and occupying the area. So therefore, there has to be a mezuzah there. It's not an issue of permanent versus temporary because it's a permanent structure. You know, but the, but it's that he has to go there. According to Rabbi Yehuda, the fact that it's against his will, meaning not that he doesn't want to go, but meaning that it's not his choice. So therefore, it's a uh, it's called uh, it's called dirab bal korchan. Really, technically, you wouldn't require a mezuzah for that kind of a dwelling. So everyone asks the question: What about the sukkah? Sukkah also, you don't have a choice. It's a mitzvah. Right? It's a mitzvah. But the fact is, you're allowed to go in and out of the sukkah. If you eat things that don't require a sukkah, you couldn't go somewhere else. It's not like you have to be sequestered in the sukkah. It's not the same thing. He's saying the fact that you have to be sequestered there, it's not really something that you would consider uh, of your own volition. You have no freedom. Okay? So that's why it's not considered dirah. Why did they make you have to put a mezuzah? Because people will say you're putting him in jail. Meaning, a, a, a place that doesn't have a mezuzah has a stigma that it must be like a garbage place. You're putting a guy in a closet. You know, you're putting him in a place that doesn't have a mezuzah. It's a, it, it sounds like an imprisonment. You know, so therefore they put a mezuzah to show, no, it's an apartment. You know, it's... A, it, it's something respectable. So and that's what Adam is saying. Even the rabbis say rabbinic. The rabbis are saying, no, that it, since it's a permanent structure and it's designated for people to live there, so that you, need a, you, need a, uh, you need a mezuzah. According to Rabbi Yehuda, the fact that you only live there when it's not your choice, it's not your choice whether to live there or not, so therefore um, it wouldn't really rise to the level of dirat. It doesn't really rise to the level of dwelling biblically. Rabbinically, we don't want to put the Kohen Gadol in a closet and say you have to, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's going to look bad. Rabbi Yehuda is saying it's only rabbinic, right. Now, who is the author of the following rabbinic statement? And we turn to Yud Aleph Amud Aleph Kol Asharim Shayu Sham Lo Ayelem Mizuzah Chutz Mishar. And according to the Grad should be Sharamayim. None of the gates of the Beit Hamikdash had a mizuzah except for Sharamayim, which leads into the area which, with Lishkat Paredrin. It leads into the area with the Kohen Gadol's uh, chamber. 
So it says, who would say that? So because inside that gate was the lishkat It must be the rabbis. Why? Because he already says that the fact that there's a mezuzah in the Goin Gadol's apartment itself is just a gzerah de rabbanan. It doesn't really require it. And now we're going to also require the gate that leads to that apartment also to have a mezuzah. Why? So it says, no, afilu teimar abiyuda, kulachad agzerahi. The Gemara always gives the same answer. Right? It says, no, it's not agzerah, agzerah. It was all one gzerah. Once they imposed on it an obligation of mezuzah, so the gate that leads also needs a mezuzah. That's all. It's a, so, so the gate and the apartment had a mezuzah. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it's rabbinic. According to the Chachamim, it's still right. When it comes to sukkah, it's the opposite svarah. The opposite reason is because according to Rabbi Yehuda, the sukkah has to be a dirat keva bainan, has to be a permanent structure, so it has to have a mezuzah. Rabbi Yehuda, that's Rabbi Yehuda. Chachamim say, no, dirat, dirat arai bainan. It has to be temporary. You don't have to have mezuzah. Now, Tanu Rabbanan, Bisharecha, what does it mean in your gates? Echad sharei bativ, echad sharei chatserot, echad sharei medinot. You have to have a mezuzah on a gate that leads into your house, a gate that leads into your courtyard, meaning even though it's shared by people, echad sharei medinot. Even a like a community that has a gated community, if it's all Jewish, okay, they would have a or a town that's all Jewish and they have gates. It should have a mezuzah. City that has gates, it's all Jewish. Mezuzah. It should say mezuzah probably, right? So it should have, right? It should have a. Uh, it should have a. Oh, it says it should have. Uh, it, the word chovat doesn't appear there, right? Yes, mitzvah lemakom. Right, there's a mitzvah in the place. Shenemar al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. So Amar le Abayel or Rav Safra. Hane abuledim chuzah. These gates of mechuzah. This certain Jewish town. My time, Amar lo avdul le Rabbanan le mezuzah. Why don't they have a mezuzah there? Amar lo hu hanhu chizuk la akrad de kovei de kovei who David. That's made for the akrad de kovei is like the uh, the fort that was on top of it. The, those gates were like really just holding up the structure above it. They weren't really made for uh, you know. It's like. It's like right. It's it's it lets people pass through by suspending the uh, suspending the the structure above, but it's not really meant for like a doorway. It's just that it's suspending the, do- the it's suspending what's above it. So he said, right? So, what about it? They, many of them do. Yeah, they do. They do have. Why not? Because there's no dear. It's not a place for living. It's also holy, no. The reason why there's no mitzvah and mezuzah in Beit HaMikdash is because it's not a place for a human dwelling. You're not supposed to dwell there. Our synagogue shouldn't have a mitzvah either. In theory, a synagogue would not if it were only used for prayer. Right? A Beit Midrash and a Beit Knesset doesn't require a mezuzah if it's just a place that's used for, uh, for learning and for tefillah. But since our Batei Knesset, we have food, we have other things, we have social events, we have every other kind of activity, so that's why we have a mezuzah. But in theory, let's say you just had a synagogue, like some old synagogues. I, I remember a synagogue that, you know, you could just have like a, a room, that that room is just a Beit Midrash and a synagogue, and there's no eating, there's no other activity, but you go into, technically you would not require well, mezuzah. Because it's totally. synagogue in Israel that's supposed to be you have to ask Larry about that. I have no idea. Anyway, uh, no, I haven't been there in so, since I was a kid. I don't even remember. It's because it's not a dirah. It has to be a bit dirah. Like even a storage facility or things that are not for anything that's considered dirah, it doesn't, doesn't require mezuzah. It's not for living. It has to be for living. You know? But, um, huh? Since you eat. 
since you eat there, you you know you you you, you do act, you do regular activities there. So I think if since you do activities there that are dwelling activities, you eat probably probably a lot of people are sleeping on the job too. You know, so they uh, if it's a if it's a normal office. Yeah, so you probably need you probably need a business up. Now, yeah. So anyway, so the thing is, he said, But what about the fact? Okay, so those things are like it's it's sort of like you know it's sort of like uh, it's not, I don't think it's exactly the same, but it's similar to let's say when you go to uh, Brooklyn and like the subway is suspended over the street, you know. So you have like it's almost looks like gates because it's you know you have that you know the road goes under it. You know, but it's not a gate into the city. It's just really holding what's above, you know. So he says, but what about the fact that through those, you actually access the structure above? So it should be like an entrance. You should have a mezuzah because it's an entrance to get into the part above. He said, no, the reason is, because that was where, I guess, the, um, the, the guy who's uh, the jailer had his apartment up there. So, he, you know, there's actually, a, there's actually a home in there for him, right? Uh, we learned the Braita. <clears throat> that uh, that Knesset if 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 the if the gabai used to be like the shamash used to stay in the synagogue he had an apartment in there only Jew, right? Jewish. Jewish guy. Jewish guy. So it said he should put, he should put a, no, 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 a Jewish. Yeah, so he's saying he should put a mezuzah in there because he lives there, right? So, so what's the reason then why those, what? Well, I don't think that they had a, they even envisioned a synagogue looks like 54. They're talking about like a room that people go to pray and it has an apartment on the side. They didn't have like a, a complex, you know, it's not like that. So, like today's synagogues are beyond what they what they were talk, talking about. Most likely, they were talking about smaller things. Like the, you look at the old synagogues. You go to Israel. You walk in. It's a room. It's a beautiful room, but it's you know it's a beautiful sanctuary. But there's no like extra extra stuff. So 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 the door into the sanctuary itself doesn't really require room mezuzah. People put it, but you know, but it, assuming people are following the rule that you're not supposed to eat and drink in there. But if you um, if you go if you have an apartment on the side, so then yeah. So he's saying, well, so why didn't they have on this? Basically, there's a public building. Um, these this gate leads into this apartment for the guy who is the guard, basically, you know, the security guard. So why doesn't have a mezuzah? So he says the reason is interestingly, the reason is because of danger. A person has a mezuzah in his house, has to check it twice in every seven years. And the uh, and and a public mezuzah has to be checked twice every fifty years, every twenty five years. Now, there was a guy who was a so fair poor guy checking mezuzot. You know, Shel Tzipori was he's checking in the upper market of Tzipori um um and a certain like Roman uh, soldier found him and he 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 charged him a thousand zoos in other words like what are you doing messing around with the public buildings here you know who do you think you are? I'm going to write you a ticket it'll be like a great neck cop you know <laughs> that well, he's not really a cop that guy who walks around so you do anything we'll write you a ticket for that you know what are you doing here looking at taking apart this uh, thing you're looking in here and write you a ticket for that. You know, and you really don't have it just says that they don't want to put a tirchan in the uh-huh. community, you know, that's that's the main thing. 
it's not really required because it's cheskat kashrut. Everything is cheskat kashrut. It's uh, extra hidur, so they don't want to put it to your chan the community check to check it. What about the fact that somebody doing a mitzvah he shouldn't be hurt? So why why to get hurt? It's different when there's a, a a present danger that you know about because Right? That's a very famous source. They always bring this source about sakana. That a person should, that yes, it's true that in general we say, a person who's doing a mitzvah won't be hurt. But if there's an obvious danger that, is a, that you're aware of, you can't just go and take risks ignoring that danger. And what's the source? The source is Shmuel and Avi. Because when Hashem tells him to go and anoint David, he says to Hashem, Shaul will hear that I'm going to anoint a competitor for him. He's going to come kill me. And Hashem doesn't say, ah, don't worry about it. He's not going to do that. He doesn't say that. He says, tell, the, tell Shaul you're going to bring a korban. And, you know, you're bringing it over there to bring korban. If he asks you, you'll have a cover uh, story. Then, you know, for, for why? So he won't suspect you. So even Hashem tells him, you have to make, uh, you know, you have to be worried about possible danger, even when you're going to do a mitzvah of Hashem. You have to, you have to be worried. So the person who is checking mezuzot in public, he's caught by the, you know, by the cop who's walking around and sees him messing with, uh, you know, with the pillars and the gates and all that. So therefore they said, you know what? Putting mezuzot on these, um, on these structures that are public structures is not recommended because it can create the potential for danger and conflict with the non-Jewish authorities. However, if you had a situation where there were no non-Jewish authorities, let's say that you're living in the times of Shlomo Melech, or you're living in a, a place where the government is Jew, totally Jewish, so then you wouldn't have a problem with putting mezuzot on public structures because hopefully, you know, the law would allow for it. But in a situation where, they, where they're going to give you problems or you could potentially have problems, it's, uh, you know, we avoid that. It's similar to uh, the halakha that if you, if you have a, a hole in your wall between two apartments, you have to check for chametz, right? So it says, oh, you should reach as far as your hand goes and that's enough. But, it's, but then it said, no, but if there's a non-Jew on the other side, he's going to see you with a candle, you know, putting your hand in the wall. He's going to think you're doing some hocus-pocus thing. So they said, don't do it because then the, the person next door is going to think, Sakana, because he's going to say, oh, that Jew is probably casting a spell on me. I don't know what he's doing in there. And then he's going to think. So in the same way, he sees him messing around with the, uh, you know, there are funny stories that you hear about people, that people seeing people put on tefillin and they think that they were doing some like... Uh, I don't know, some kind of crazy thing with him wrapping thing. Yeah, it happens all the time. So therefore, you have to be careful about what you do in public is the, is the bottom line.